enough. I want you forever. And so, God, we thank you that you love us with a love that knows no limits. It knows no bounds. It knows nothing of who we were before we accepted you through the gift of faith and through your grace solely that you see, you don't see who we were, but you see who we are in you, that we have been redeemed, that we have been washed clean. God, give us uh, your grace, give us your strength, give us your mercy. As we go through each day actively seeking you, but knowing that we are so caught up in our humanity that sometimes it's so hard for us to do left foot, right foot, because we can't even make it through five minutes, let alone this concept of eternity, that you love us for eternity. So God, we ask that you fill us, fill our hearts, fill our minds with you. We thank you in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see everybody today. It's been a while since I've been able to come up here and and preach. That's because we have some very gifted people in our church, and I thought it was really important for you to hear from them for the last, for the month of August. But it's September, and we're ready to roll. Uh, we're not going to do Psalm 119 today. We're going to start that up again next week, because there wasn't going to be very many people here today, because of Labor Day weekend. <laughs> well, whatever. So, But I've got a, I've got a message I'm going to share with you today. Um, you ever had that awkward moment that you're invited to a party and the question is, should we bring anything to this party? You know, there have been a couple of parties where somebody would invite us like a birthday party and they say, please, no gifts. Phew, the, the, the pressure's off. But then, of course, what do other guests do? They bring gifts. They bring gifts. It ticks me off. I remember, <laughs> I remember one time I went to a party for a friend, no gifts, and this other guy brought a gift. It was an eight-minute video of how much he loved the person who we were celebrating. He made everybody sit down and watch this video. I was like, come on, you got to give me a break. I mean, so, you know, sometimes it's awkward, right? Should we bring anything to a party? Now, before we go on, we're talking about the marriage feast, the, his, the, the parable of the marriage feast. And this is a very complicated theological sermon today. Some of you are going to love it. Some of you are going to hate it. Some of you aren't going to understand a word of it. And that third one is my fault. OK, but what I'm going to share with you today is very difficult to grasp. The first time I read this parable, I didn't know what it was about. And it took me about three or four years to finally get it. So the name of the message is, Should We Bring Anything? We're taking the passage. I actually took the time to write a harmony of the Gospels. And I took the story in Matthew 22 and Luke 14, because each one has different elements in it. And I combined them all together so you could get the full story using Matthew and Luke with some editing, so it kind of flows like one story. And I'm not going to put the passage on the screen because it's pretty long, but I'm just going to read it to you as we go along, okay? So first, before we do that, I want to make sure that you understand the, his the historical significance of the feast circuit, as I will put it. In the time of Jesus, particularly in the Jewish community, there was this thing called the feast circuit. And the really idea here was people would be invited to these feasts and you would never accept an invitation to a feast unless you could put on the feast the same level or higher yourself and invite that host. So in other words, if you were going to go to a feast, you better have the money to do at least that good of a feast or better. And these were big parties, hundreds, maybe thousands of people. The feast circuit was, was often the pinnacle of 
of social life during that time. I mean, they didn't have TV, they didn't have Netflix, they didn't have all the other stuff that we have. So one, the way they had fun was they got together and these feasts were crazy. I mean, food. Sometimes they would go for a week. I mean, these were big time parties. And everyone is always trying to outdo the last feast. They would have all some sort of spiritual undertone to kind of give it like, you know, sprinkling of holy water. They would invite the priests and they would invite the Levites and they would invite some religious leaders. But really, it wasn't about religion. It wasn't about faith. It wasn't about grace. It was about showing off your wares. And of all the feasts that people would celebrate, the marriage feast was the most important feast that any man could give. The giving away of his daughter. And he would put on this huge party, invite the whole town and people in the region. So, the, so just so you understand, the, the historical application of the feast circuit was pretty significant. So this is what we're looking at today, the, feast, the, the significant of the feast circuit, and then why Jesus was invited to this feast. So what's going on is, throughout this time, Jesus has been rattling the religious elite, who, by the way, were also the wealthy. In many respects, he's been kind of ripping on them a little bit and he's been doing things they don't like, saying things they don't like. So what they decided to do is they wanted to lay a trap for him and invite them to this feast. First of all, they knew he didn't have a lot of money. At least they thought he didn't. He owned the cattle on a thousand hills, but they didn't know that because they didn't know he was God. They thought what will happen is he will come to this feast knowing that he can't throw one of his own and that'll destroy his social standing in community. The second thing they wanted to do is they wanted to trip him up on some spiritual, religious type of things. So the purpose of Jesus being invited to the feast was to trip him up, to to blunt his ministry. And there is hypocrisy exposed all over the place in these feasts. First of all, uh, there's anger. They're angry at him because he healed on the Sabbath day. They weren't happy about that. There was uh, the audacity of reserved seating. And matter of fact, Jesus said, when you throw a party, don't say to the person with money, come sit here in a good place. And to the person who doesn't have much, come sit here under my footstool or in the back. So, but that's what they would do at these feasts. So he's exposing that. And the other thing he exposes is how the guests are chosen. You want to pick the best of the best. You want to make sure that your feast has all the good people. And there's hypocrisy all over the place, and it's revealed in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, if you ever want to read it. So, now we're going to talk about this harmony of the Gospels that I've read, or that I've written, and this passage is difficult, but we're going to go through, and the Master begins to break this down. This is theological part of the sermon. What does God do? Let me just read it. Now, before I do that, all these important, wonderfully, these these people would understand the picture of the feast he's about to lay out for them. As a matter of fact, he uses an example. He says, you know how you guys have these big feasts? I'm going to tell you a parable. The kingdom of heaven is like if a king gave a feast. In other words, the richest person. The kingdom of heaven is as if the king gave a feast that no one could ever match. So when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, right? trying to be all religious. And Jesus replied, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. At the time of the banquet, 
he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for now everything is ready. Just make sure you understand. They'd been invited before. Most likely the invitations went out a year ahead of time. Now, I want you to go out and tell them it's happening in a week. Tell them to get ready. But they all alike, all the guests, began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five cows and I want to try them out, see how they work together. Please excuse me. And then another said, I have just gotten married, so I can't come. Planned a wedding on the same day as the king's wedding. The servant came back and reported all this to the master. So the master sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calves, they've all been slaughtered and everything is ready. Please come to the feast that you said you wanted to be a part of. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest of these guests seized his messengers, treated them shamefully, tortured them, and killed them. Whoa! I mean, he sends, hey, tell them we're ready. Uh, We can't go. Go back and plead with them. Please come into my kingdom. Please come into my feast. No, I've got other things. You're telling me to come into your feast? I'm going to kill you for bringing your king's message. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned the city. Ouch. I think I would have rather have gone to the party. (laughs) Just go. Then the owner of the house ordered his servant, look, the wedding feast is still ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So the wedding invitations go out. The religious elite are all invited. The honored guests, the political elite, the rich, anybody who was anybody is there. The rich, famous, rappers, rock stars, reality show stars, whatever. Jerusalem Key was there. All those stars were invited. Those of you might know what I'm talking about if you're up on culture. So the the invitations will go out probably a year earlier, and now comes the call. Okay, remember that feast you said you were coming to? It's happening in a week. It's ready to go. It's the wedding day. Come on. See, they would have never received the second invitation unless they had already committed to be there. If anybody should have been able to respond to an invitation, it should have been these people. But what do they say? My new field is too important. Let me tell you why this is a bad excuse. No one in those days would buy a field without careful investigation of the property first because real estate transactions took years. You didn't have a closing in 30 days. It was like, you know, four years there'd be a closing. So the idea that on that particular day of the wedding, no, I can't do it, I got to go check out this field, it's a lie. It's an excuse. The other one, my cows are more important. My new oxen, 
No one, because that was an important part of the economy. No one, he says, I have to test them out to make sure they work together. No one would buy a group of oxen without testing them out first to see if they would work. Otherwise, they're useless. Another excuse, my own wedding is more important. To have scheduled a wedding on the same day as the one you had been invited to by the king was a huge insult because of the nature of how far in the future these feasts were scheduled. This probably wasn't a year. This was five years, eight years. This was something that had to be done on purpose. I know the king's got a wedding he invited me to on the 15th, but I'm going to go ahead and plan my own wedding. So look what happens next. The host compels the dishonored to attend. I love this passage in verses 21 to 23 of Matthew and Luke. and I kind of put it together. Remember, this is both the Gospels together. Here's what the king says to his servants that are left, the ones who have not been killed. Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and the towns, even the bad part of town, and like Bradenton, and bring in... (laughs) I, I can't ever resist. I just love... Bring in the wedding feast as many as you can find. And so the servants went into the roads and the back roads and the alleys and the dark ways and gathered the poor. They gathered the crippled. They gathered the lame and all who they found both bad and good and made them come. Then the servants said, sir, what you have been done, what you've said to do has been done, but there's still room in your feast. There's still room even after getting all the bad people in Bradenton. Okay, go to Northport. <laughs> the master told his servants, go out to the roads and the country lanes, Mayaka, and make them, compel them, force them all to come into my feast so that my house will be full. And so because of this, the wedding hall was filled with guests. This word compel is the word in there, force them, make them. It's in there twice in that passage. The verb means to force, to compel. So the question I have for you is, why would these feasts, these people here on the front, they're the rich people, sorry, I can't go. Then you see in the background, you see the lame and the poor, and they're there, and, and they finally come, but they have to be forced to come. Why would these people be forced? I mean, these people would never choose to go to this feast. Why? Because they didn't feel worthy. The first group didn't feel like it was worth their time. I've got a cow to look after. I've got a piece of land and I'm getting married. I don't have time for your feast king. The second group would never come because they're saying, I can't afford to go to this feast. I could never throw one on my own. There's no way I'm going to this feast because there's no way I can be in the king's favor because I could never repay it. I am not good enough for this feast. And the servants say, it doesn't matter. We're forcing you to come. So why would they not come? First of all, they would ruin his reputation in Luke 14, two to four. And here's what it says. And behold, there was a man before him who had a disease. And Jesus responded to the lawmakers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. See, the religious people did not want to have anything to do with the sick and the poor and the lame, especially on the Sabbath, because it would ruin their religious reputation. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to heal them. They would ruin his reputation out of fear. They would say, no, there's no way I can be a part of the church. No way. As bad as I've been, you have no idea 
Notice the religious would rather have those needing healing to suffer rather than violate the religious Sabbath law. You know, another reason why these poor and lame and crippled people would not come, they know they would never be able to repay. Luke 14, 12. He also said to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite the friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors because then they'll just invite you in return and you'll be repaid. But when I give, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you'll be repaid at the resurrection. You see how he puts this all together? See, their very shame would keep them from being a part of the king's feast. So he had to force them. Do you ever feel like that when it comes to God? So what did the refusers and those forced to come to the feast have in common? They were all called and invited. And for very different reasons, would have never come to the king's feast, even though they were asked to come. They were unable to respond, no matter who they were. The religious, the elite, the poor, the lame, the crippled, none of them were able to respond the right way. Some for pride and arrogance... I don't need this God thing. Some for shame and guilt. I'm too bad even for God to save. But the result was the same. A rejection of the invitation. How are they different? The ones that showed up were forced to. The others were not forced to. Isn't that kind of cool? I mean, think about that for just a minute. I'm so thankful that my part of the wedding feast is not contingent upon me being able to respond to the invitation. But instead, God grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and compelled me to be there. Thank God, because I would have come up with all kind of excuses. My truck needs to be waxed. Florida State's losing to Bama. I got to watch that to the bitter end. But there's something else that happens. So think about this, right? There's this feast that Jesus is trying to fill. The king is trying to fill. He says, bring everybody you possibly can. Force them because none of them are going to want to come. But make them come anyway. So the house is finally full. But then something amazing happens. I want to talk about the wrong clothes. Look at what happens in Matthew. The Matthew portion of this harmony of the Gospels. So the king came in to look at the guests. And he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen, few are compelled. He would reject a person that came to this wide open feast? Why would he do that? I mean, couldn't someone just choose to attend on his own? Apparently, the feast wasn't so wide open after all, was it? You know why? Because the proper clothing for the feast is provided by the host. This is historically accurate. The people hearing this would understand, of course, when you give a wedding feast, you clothe all the guests. Did you know that? Not only is it a big party, you provide the clothing. True story. You cannot come into the wedding feast unless you're wearing the clothes the host 
gave you. You don't believe me? Isaiah 61.10, look at this. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. How about that for you? Whoa. You mean you can't go to a wedding unless the king gives you the right clothes? Yep, you don't believe me? Let's look at another. Revelation 19. For those of you that hate the Old Testament and love the New Testament. <laughs> For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Did that just give you chills? Yeah. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now you understand what Jesus is teaching in the marriage feast. Nobody comes except those who are forced. And when those who are forced, they come, they are clothed in the right way. And even those that choose on their own are not there for the right reasons, because they're not clothed in the righteousness that comes from the blood of the lamb. So what's the devotional application for us? If you're a child of God, you have been compelled and you have been clothed. You have been compelled, forced against your will, irresistible grace, and you have been clothed in righteousness that is not your own. The invitation list is long to the kingdom of heaven's wedding feast. Remember, by the way, what is the day of salvation taught to us to be like in the New Testament? A wedding feast. The bride of Christ is the church. The invitation is long. But no one responds to the invitation unless the king compels them to. Not the rich, not the poor, not the arrogant, not the shamed. They all are compelled. And the last thing about it, <clears throat> no one can enter into the feast with their own clothes. Our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear this parable, it could make me uncomfortable. You mean that I would never choose God on my own? Yep, that's correct. Matter of fact, you would use your free will to choose your own will. I was sharing this with Grace Life Recovery a few weeks ago. Our free will is not what saves us. It's what we need to be saved from. Yes. Because our free will says, no, I got a cow to check out. I got to make sure my land is in order. No, I got my own wedding. You know what else our free will says? I'm too shameful to be a part of the king's feast. I found a hymn that does an amazing job of describing this. This hymn is really old. The guy's name is Sir Isaac Watts. The name of the hymn is called How Sweet and Awful. It is about the marriage feast. I'm reading two verses, or three verses to you. Here's the first one, you ready? While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues. Lord, why was I a guest? Wouldn't you feel that way if you're one of the poor that were compelled and forced to come? 
I was just a few days ago, I was barely being able to figure out what I'm going to eat tomorrow. And now you've brought me into this feast that I would have never come to on my own. You've clothed me in righteousness and you have given me this incredible banquet. Why was I a guest? I don't belong here. Yet somehow you've made me be a part of it. Look what he says in verse 3. Why was I compelled? Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room, while thousands make a wretched choice, wretched choice, free will, and rather starve than come? Oh, and look at the last one. It was the same love that spread the feast that sweetly drew us in, or else we had still refused to taste and perished in our sin. Now guys, I don't know, but it seems to me this hymn is teaching us what this parable means. When you come to Jesus, you aren't coming to say yes. You are coming and you're saying, wow, thank you. <laughs> Your response is not a decision. It is a reaction. Have you felt the irresistible pull before? Maybe some of you are feeling it right now. Maybe you feel like a messenger from God is grabbing you by the scruff in the neck and says, I don't care how shameful you are. I'm dragging you into the marriage feast. Maybe the king is compelling you, forcing you to answer the call to attend the feast today. He has called you and forced you and ready to give you a robe of righteousness and turn you from undeserving sinner into redeemed, honored guest of the king.